Well, we, we often, I think in life, we often look for things to change. We look maybe for like something new just to arrive on the scene. This new hope, new nuance in our life, maybe a change in relationship, maybe it's a change in career or a change in maybe income that's coming in and we look for those things hoping that that change in circumstance will kind of bring us maybe a brighter future, a new hope. And, and we wrestle th- through these. Even as followers of Jesus Christ, we can be those who are at times like that father in the Gospel of Mark who came to Jesus with his son that was, was possessed and he says to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. And we, we wrestle to root our, our hope in Christ. There's one thing that in my life, reminded me of that, just kind of that wrestling sometimes. And there's something that, that I do that I thought maybe was just unique to me until recently I heard an author, I read an author that mentioned that he does the same thing. And I thought to myself, well, if, if we both do it, um, there's probably other people that do do this. And what, what it is, is just sometimes in different times in my life, uh, maybe in times where I've been discontent, maybe times where there's been struggling in my life or Maybe just on an average day, I don't know, where I go to my inbox and on my email where I'm hoping for something. I don't even know what, but I'm checking just hoping for maybe something new to be there, something that's going to change my circumstances, something that's going to make life maybe a little bit smoother, something that's going to uh, just bring something new. And there's just some, a little bit of hope. I just check, like, I don't even know what I'm hoping comes through my email box. But there's a little bit of that. And I think even before email... I remember going to, especially in college, going to my mailbox in my dorm and going down and looking, hoping that there would be just something there, something that was going to make my day a little bit better, something maybe from home or or from a sweetheart back home or whatever it might have been, just, I hope there's something in my email box that's just going to, or my my mailbox, just looking for something new, something to make life a little smoother, whatever it is. And we sometimes look for those things. But that's really not the place to look to find that new hope, that new change, that something to make things a little bit smoother. That's not the source, ultimately, of those things. Sure, there could be something hopeful that comes through. But we are too created for hope. We're created for newness. So, of course, our hearts long for that. We live in a world that's broken because of sin, and we wrestle with sin, and we we know that things are not as they should be, and we do long often for things to be made new. And we know if we are those who have trusted in Christ that we have been begun to walk in that newness in Christ, that he's given us new life in him and, and forgiveness of sin and a hope of eternity. But we still wrestle with that at times. But we're reminded that in Christ there is newness, there is hope, there is that which we long for found throughout the pages of the Old and the New Testament, that found in the Gospels of the story of Jesus Christ. And here in this letter of Ephesians, it's a letter that really speaks of newness that comes through Jesus Christ. And these are things that we need to think through and walk through. And it's good to look at these ancient words and be reminded that they impact us today. And as we walk through Ephesians, uh, we're gonna break it up, be breaking it up into to different sections and, and different parts as we walk through, but some major divisions within the book, some sections within the book as we walk through it. Um, 
are, are as this. And I, as a, this week as I was studying, I went back through some old notes that I had and some old documents, and I found a, an outline from one of my professors who was also a, a fellow church member while in seminary, Dr. Wellam, and he had a really helpful outline that just pointed to the new things that we find in Christ. And then as I was studying in a commentary by John Stott, um, he had a similar outline, probably one that even um, Dr. Wellam had, had worked off of. And, and we're going to use a modified one as I've kind of wrestled through that and um, been able to, to kind of think through some of these new things that we see. Um, so I'm borrowing and walking off of some of these, these headings that we see throughout this passage. And one of those things is we might break it up would be verse... One or chapter one through chapter two, verse 10, where in that we just see this new identity that we have in Christ, this new life that we have in Christ. So we'll, we'll begin with that as we walk in, as we, as we begin through this book. We're going to see all of these things about our identity, this new identity that's found in Jesus Christ alone. And really, not just identity, but just true new life in him. And then as we look at chapter 2, 11 through chapter 3, to the end of chapter 3, it's all about this new community that we have in Jesus Christ. It's talking about the church, and there's this new, true community that everything changes in Christ. Our relationships are impacted by that in the community of the church. And then um, after that, chapter 4 through the 5, verse 21, we have a new way to live in Jesus. There's all of these things, that, and the reality that we are new in him, and we have this new community, well, how are we to live then? And there's these new ways to live. And then the last part of Ephesians, we'll look at new relationships that we have in Jesus Christ, how Jesus is in the midst of our relationships and it impacts our relationships in there. So those are just some big headings that we will kind of walk through. And if you want to find a a verse that kind of helps us go back to what is going on in Ephesians, just kind of a summary verse, I think Ephesians 5 verse 8 is a helpful kind of summary verse of this book, and it says in verse 8 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, at one time, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. So again, that newness from darkness to light, and that's the first, really the first half, chapters 1 through 3, that we were in darkness, and now we are those who are in the light because of Christ, and then the last half of Ephesians, so walk as children of the light. So how are we to walk? How are we to live? So if you want to remind yourself, kind of what, what are some big key things that we're going to walk through? Look at Ephesians 5 through 8 and be reminded. So now today, let's get into these first couple of verses in Ephesians. As we do this, we see a lot of what's going on as far as who is the author, who are the recipients, and even just some major themes, just a glimpse into the message that we're going to see as we walk through uh, Ephesians. So let's just first look at the author. Who is the author? And it's Paul. Paul is the author. And, he, and the, the title, um, it's a guy who knew, knew. I know it's a really cheesy, it's almost like a dad joke kind of thing in there. But no, but really Paul is a guy who, who knew, knew. He knew newness. Of life, and and if you grow, if you've grown up in the church and heard the story of Paul, you know that story, and you know what has happened in the life of Paul. And Paul was one who, before he met Christ, he was one who set his hope on things 
that were not going to bring true hope and truth. He was seeking a self-righteousness. There was a confusion about the law, confusion about the Messiah, Jesus, that had come. And he was one who tried to crush that message of Jesus Christ. But then Jesus radically changed him and gave him new life. And what we're going to read this morning, one of the times where Paul shares that testimony of what he experienced in his change that happened in him through the work of Jesus Christ. So we'll look at Acts chapter 26. And you can listen along. You can turn there as well. Um, so it's um, after the, we have, it's a little bit, a few books back. And you'll find Acts. I don't have the page number for the Pew Bible this morning, but Acts. And we're going to look at verse, chapter 26, verse 9. And here is a time, one of the times where Paul's giving his testimony. And Paul, he'd, at this point, he had gone to Jerusalem. He had finished his three missionary journeys and headed to Jerusalem. And there he, he was arrested. And, and part of this, he was in prison for several years in Caesarea. And here he is giving testimony to Festus, who is the Roman procreator for Judea. And he was ruling at that time, and King Agrippa was there, and others that came to hear Paul. And Paul does not miss an opportunity to share of what Jesus had done in him. And we hear this testimony. If you want to read it more fully, you can read all of from the from verse one on. You can read of his testimony. We're going to jump in on verse nine of the words of Paul, and said, "I myself was convinced." that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. And I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So Paul, this begins, says, this was my life, that I was one who sought, who raged against Jesus, who raged against the church, and to the extent that he would not only arrest them, but he would cast his vote that they would be put to death because that they were following Jesus Christ. And, and he didn't just stay in his hometown, but he went to foreign cities. He went far and wide in order to stop the spread of Jesus Christ in the gospel. So he was one who was raging against the gospel. But then something happens. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus. And with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, again, he's speaking, giving testimony, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me, And when he had fallen to the ground, and when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. So here, first we see the cry out of Christ to Paul and says, Saul, Saul. And again, Saul, if you remember, that Saul is Paul's Jewish name. 
And most likely he was named after even King Saul, the first king of Israel. And he went by, of course, his Jewish name. And then Paul, as you might know, is his Gentile, his Greek name. And as Paul was then sent out, and we'll see in a little bit, that he was one who took the gospel to the Gentiles, he went by that, that um, Greek or Gentile name by Paul. And it's interesting, Paul means small. So we see even just a humility in this change in Paul's life, that he, he embraces his Gentile name of Paul. So Jesus appears to him and says, why do you kick against the goads? And what's a goad? It's like a stick that has a sharp point on it that would have been used to prod an ox along. And if that ox would kick back, it'd just get hit even harder. So you don't kick against the goads. You just, um, it's, a, it's a futile thing. And then Jesus continues speaking to Paul in verse 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then Jesus says to Paul in, in verse 16, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. And then verse 18, so we see here he's given this mission. He's going to be one that instead of raging against, he's going to be those who, one who goes and shares of Jesus. And what's the message he will have? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and a, pla- and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So it's one who, his eyes were opened, right? And he went from darkness to to light from the power of Satan to God. He, and the one who is raised up is sanctified, a saint. And he will have that message. So we see Paul, as he speaks in his Ephesians, in these words about a newness and new identity in Christ, he is one that's able to speak about it because his life was radically changed. And he was on mission, again, to put believers of Jesus Christ in prison. And now he writes this letter as one who is in prison as he writes this letter to the churches, and we see that in, in the beginning of chapter 3 and in 4 and the end of 6. It's really clear that he writes this from prison. And we think most likely this was when he was in Rome. After he gave that testimony, he was later sent to Rome, and it was in prison there. And most likely at that time is when he wrote Ephesians and wrote Philippians and wrote Colossians and wrote Philemon. And Paul writes these things. And then he tells them, I'm an apostle. Paul, this is back in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is one who is an ambassador, a messenger of Jesus Christ. And the apostles were those who were called and equipped and then sent out by Jesus. And he was as well as Jesus met him on that road to Damascus and continued to train. And then he sent him out. So he's an apostle. He's one that carries the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just for the Jews, but also for Gentiles, and we'll, we'll see that as we look through this book, and he, as he writes to churches that have both Jew and Gentile that are one now in Jesus Christ, and he writes to them, and he has this message, and he carries that as one who's an apostle of Christ, Christ meaning the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus, the name of Jesus, meaning Yahweh is salvation, our Savior, where that name, even that, that pointed to one who was Savior. So Jesus Christ, 
And he says, by the will of God. And if, as we've just read that testimony of Paul, we see, we see it wasn't by Paul's will, right? God came in and radically changed him and sent him. And it was by the will of God that came in and brought salvation, conversion, called him and gave him new life and truth and true hope in Jesus. So Paul was dead in sin and strong rebellion from God and then given new life and called out and changed. And by the will of God, he was sent out. And yet at the same time, Paul too, although sent out and done and moved by the will of God, Paul still freely responded to Jesus and that calling. He freely repented and believed and he followed the call that Christ put upon his life as one whose eyes were when darkness and then opened to light. So Paul is one. And we, we'll see as we, even next week, we wrestle through that tension of the sovereignty of God and, and still the responsibility of man. And even in Paul here, we see that he's sent out by the will of God and he faithfully obeys and goes. And then we see the recipients. Who is this letter going to? And the recipients are brothers and sisters in Christ who too were made new. And they were in the church of Ephesus, specifically, as we see here, in the province of Asia Minor. Now, one thing about Ephesians that's a little bit different than some of the letters that Paul wrote is that we see here that he doesn't address any particular problem or situation or issue. A lot of times in the letters, he's, you can tell he's directly addressing a conflict that's happening or or false teaching that's happening in our situation within the church. And another thing, Paul often, he will give personal greetings to people in that church, and he'll greet them by name. But we don't see any of that in here in this letter. And also a thing about, about this book of Ephesians is that a lot of the, or several of the older, the oldest manuscripts that we know of this letter, uh, they omit in Ephesus. And they don't have a, a specific city that this letter is addressed to. And maybe even you might probably in your Bible, there's probably a little footnote next to in Ephesus. And down there, it'll say that the oldest manuscripts, they omit Ephesus. And because of that, because it's this general letter to the churches. And because of that, some of them that don't, the oldest ones do not even have Ephesus in it. There's a, a common thought or understanding of that uh, this letter most likely was that which was a letter written to as a broader letter to the churches in Asia Minor that was sent to all of these different churches. It was a circular letter that was sent around to be read in, in all of them. But Ephesus was the major city in that area. It was the capital city in that area, an area that commerce would go in and out of. It was a gateway of that area. And by Rome, it was set as the capital of the Asian province there. So it was a significant city and one that, that took upon the name of this letter. And also in Ephesus, just as we think about Ephesus, this major city, maybe you've heard before that it is one or it was a city, as we even see in Acts, that had the Temple of Artemis. And Temple of Artemis is one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world. So it was this enormous temple that was there so it was a very um, devout pagan city worshiping artemis and in acts we see that paul was there and, and witnessed and shared the gospel with priscilla and aquila there also apollos preached there and he was trained up by 
by Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus. And we also know in Acts that Paul spent two to three years in Ephesus. And he shared the gospel there and he trained there and he appointed elders there. And Ephesus is also the city, if you remember the story, if you read through Acts before, of the silversmith, Demetrius, who was one who made silver shrines, shrines of, of Artemis that were sold there. And because people were following Jesus, they weren't buying as many of his craft, of the things that he was making. And a riot is stirred up by him and others against Paul and the gospel. So we can remember and think of these things, of, of the strife that's happened in there in Ephesus and in that area, that it was a place that was far from, from Christ. But there are those who are saints, then we see. Because he writes to saints who are in Ephesus. To saints. And this saints, it is here not a select few people in the church, but it's everyone in the church. All of the brothers and sisters in Christ who have turned from their sins, that they've, they've been moved from, from death to life in Jesus, that they are saints. They are those who are forgiven. They're no longer condemned, but forgiven. And yes, still wrestling in sin and still being sanctified and made holy and abiding in Jesus and growing in that as, as Paul even writes this letter, encouraging them to, to walk in these things. Yet they still are set apart and their eternity is secure and rests in Jesus. And they are saints. And they are saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So they are faithful in Jesus, Christ Jesus. So they place their faith in Christ and they are faithful by the grace of Jesus to continue to walk in him. So they are those who are saints and all of them. And as we walk through Ephesians, the church is an important, not, not topic, but an important emphasis. He's writing to the churches and he's reminding them that even though they're different, they're all one in him. And there's this new community, this new society that's created in Christ Jesus. And as we think about that, as we walk through that over the next few weeks, this is something we need to hear. This is something we need now. We need to hear these things. We're not to be a people who are easily divided over differing opinions about secondary matters, our tertiary, those, those third place matters, or whatever, whatever the fourth place matters you'd call them. Um, but we argue over those things, and we can become so divided over things that are not important. And we've seen that, unfortunately, just break us in different ways over the last couple years. We don't need to be a, a people who are easily offended by differing opinions on, on things like masks or vaccines or whatever it might be. But that's just, those are just the hot topics right now that can divide. But clearly, if we are those who are all one in Christ, those who are, are dead in sin apart from him, why would we argue about such fleeting, fleeting earthly things? We've lost the art of disagreeing. We've lost the art of just being civil. I'm not saying in our church, but as a whole. 
we've lost the art of that. We have trouble disagreeing with one another and, and still lovingly listening to one another and lovingly disagreeing with one another. And that's okay. We don't have to see eye to eye on everything. But we, be, we must be gracious to one another and recognize that we are all those who come to Christ as those who are in desperate need and we're only rescued in because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ alone. And it's upon his righteousness that we stand. And I'm sure in Ephesus that there were disagreements. And we'll see that. There's some tension in the churches during this time. And you think their new believers are wrestling through these things. And Paul speaks to them. And we're not alone as we wrestle. And even not just here in America, but I was thinking, and I've shared with some of you maybe before that, in, in East Asia, that even among believers, there's wrestling and sometimes disunity that happens. And there may be similar things that, that creep in to the church here in America as well. For example, there, um, there are those that are registered churches. That means that they're officially registered with the government. And some people feel very called to, to go that avenue, even pastors that feel like this is where I'm called to be a pastor. Even though I have oversight over me and there's some things that I'm restricted in, but I'm still called to be a light of the gospel here. And then there's others who are part of, of home churches that are not registered with the government. And they feel called to go that route. But sometimes those who are on this side think, oh, look a little bit down on those over here. Or those over here think, oh, you've just compromised. You're not going the right way. And they, there could be division that happens where there should be unity, where they, they, they lovingly pray for the brothers and sisters over here. And the brothers and sisters over here lovingly pray over here. Say, God's called us these different avenues, but we need to be thinking on these things as we walk through Ephesians, be reminded of the unity that we have in Christ. And even as we walk, walk through, I would guess over the next five to ten years, there'll be a lot of things that we'll have to wrestle with. And we need to be reminded that we are, we are one, one in Christ. Again, they're saints, faithful in Christ. Christ. And we're going to see this in Christ thing throughout Ephesians. We are in Christ. Christ has stepped into our lives. He's made all things new. We are in him and he is in us. We have that new identity in Christ Jesus that impacts our relationships. In our relationships, Christ is in our midst. And even, I think we began this year in John 15, spoke about Christ who's the vine and we are the branches and we are in him and, and he is in us and we're called to abide in him. He abides in us. We're called to abide in his love. So these are important themes that will continue in Christ. Now we'll, we'll see and just touch a little bit on verse 2 as we, we see him. the themes and a glimpse of the message of this newness that we have in Christ. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Huge things. Now we think of this, yes, this is a greeting. You might think it's just something tacked on, but I don't think so. I don't think it was just flippantly put in these letters by Paul as inspired by the Holy Spirit. But grace and peace are significant words that speak about what 
we enjoy in Christ Jesus. Grace. A wonderful definition that I came across this week in the Complete Word Study Bible Dictionary put it this way. It's a little bit long, but, but bear with me. Grace, particularly that which causes joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, acceptance, for a kindness granted or desired, a benefit, thanks, gratitude, a favor done without expectation of return. That's a good one. A favor done without expectation of return. The absolute free expression, the absolute free expression of the loving kindness of God to men and women, finding its own motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver. So an absolute free expression of the loving kindness of God given to us, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver, unearned and unmerited favor. This is the grace that we have through Jesus Christ, given out to us that comes out of his bounty of his benevolent love for us. Grace. So we're going to see grace throughout. I'm going to just read some verses. Maybe even if you're... If you have your Bible open to Ephesians, you can track these down as we kind of look through. And I'm just going to read some of these as we kind of have this overview as we enter into the study of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, or actually 4 through 8, grace all over the place. We're going to see that next week. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have, rede- we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, a bountiful love poured out upon us, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Grace lavished upon us in Christ. Then Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, and when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised up with him and seated, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing, not of your own works, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then Ephesians 3, 1 through 2, and and this one I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Version. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of the Gentiles, of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you, and then later in, in chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, I was made a servant of the gospel of the gift of grace that was given to me by the power, by the work of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. And then Ephesians 4, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of of Christ's gift. And then finally, Paul ends in, with grace too. It's no surprise. He begins with grace and he ends in grace in chapter 6, verse 24. Grace be with 
all of you, all who love our Lord Jesus Christ and with love incorruptible. So grace, we're going to see it throughout. The grace of God poured out upon us, undeserved merit that flows out of the bountiful, benevolent love of, our, of the giver. And then peace, peace. We have grace and we have peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And peace, that's peace with God and peace with others that comes through Jesus Christ. We've been made right with God. We've been forgiven so that we can have a right relationship with him. And we have peace with others as well, that we can be united as we recognize we are those who are forgiven. There should be humility that comes with that and brings peace with one another. And we have a peace that passes all understanding, and we're called to walk in the midst of this. So, of course, peace is going to be found throughout Ephesians as well. Let me read a little bit more. Ephesians 2. If you're, again, if you're open to, the, to Ephesians 2, verse 13 through 17, peace. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Again, he's talking to the, there's Jewish people in the church and Gentile, and he said, we have been brought new. We, Christ is our peace. He's brought peace. He's abolished by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are far. We'll see in Christ that we are, we are one. There's a peace. We are those who are family, those who are the body of Christ. We'll see here and those who are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then if you look at chapter 4 of Ephesians 1 through 6, again, we're going to see peace. Unity. A spot through Christ. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we see this peace that comes. We have one God and one Savior. We have one hope. And then Ephesians six fifteen, it speaks about the armor of God and the, the shoes, shoes of your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The gospel itself, it's the good news of peace found in Christ. And then Paul, just as he began with grace, he ends with peace as well. Ephesians 6, 23, peace. And this is from the Christian Standard Bible. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have this glimpse of this peace and this grace, true peace, true grace that comes what is the source of all of this grace and peace? It's from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see in Ephesians as well, there's a huge emphasis on the, the triune God. The God who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Even next week as we look at the process of, of just the Lord giving us a new identity, a new life in Christ, we see all 
of those parts of the Trinity, all of the, the persons of the Trinity that are working in the midst of our salvation. Even So we're going to see that throughout. And we're reminded that the source of our grace and peace is in Christ Jesus and our, our God and God the Father. So as we walk through and as we, we go through Ephesians, this is a letter that we need. These are words that we need. And we need to be reminded, even as our heart longs for something new, longs for something, a new hope, and we might go to, to that email hoping that just something will change my day or that email box or whatever it might be, hoping that something would change. We're reminded that although our hearts are created for something more, that something more is not found most likely unless the gospel is coming through in an email um, that's coming to us. That's not where our hope is found, but it's found in Jesus Christ who came to bring and make all things new in him. And we can be encouraged in that. And I'm prayerful, and this is just a real, will be just an encouraging, hopeful time as we wrestle through Ephesians. And even different truths that we glean from it will help us even walk through this age as we seek and desire to be faithful to Jesus Christ and be gospel lights to those who need to know him. And, and also, as we look at this, maybe it's this morning you recognize that you are in need of hope and you are still wrestling and you are, have yet to find the hope of Jesus Christ in your life right now. I encourage you, even this morning, this is a morning to even turn from yourself and your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ and find new hope and new life. Like Paul, who was raging against the church, but God, in a moment, Christ stepped in and he went from death to life to the power of Satan, to that of God, and his eyes fully opened and new life in him. This morning, may you even place your faith in Christ if you have not. Dear Father God, we thank you for this letter uh, of Ephesians that we have, that we're able to walk through and be encouraged by these truths. And as your Holy Spirit works and speaks through your living word, we thank you for all that you will do Sunday mornings and during community groups and other times. I pray that you would do a work in us. Lord, help us to be reminded that our hope, our contentment, that which our heart most longs for is not found or fulfilled in anything outside of Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would draw us near. Lord, equip us. Equip us to be a people who are ambassadors of grace and hope, people who are seasoned always with grace and the gospel, a people who go out in the midst of it seems at the time that's forgetting even what civility means. And we are those who are able to, to love our enemies and be able to speak the gospel. Lord, help us, equip us through this letter. And Lord, I do pray if there are any here, any that are even just tuning in online with us this morning, that have yet to, to trust. Lord, I pray that you would open eyes just as you did with Paul, that you changed him in a moment. And opened his eyes to the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ indeed was a son of God, fully God and fully man, who died on the cross and then rose again victorious that we might have newness of life and that there might be those that would repent and believe this morning as you move upon their life and their heart, we pray. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we, we respond in our time of response by, by taking of... Uh,